The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. This morning's reading is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the living word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, two pillars. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. As I was reading our passage this morning, uh, our passage for this morning, this old Western movie trope, came to mind. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Maybe you watched a movie where this phrase was used. Well, I I did some research, about five minutes of of really good research, Googling, and discovered that this line allegedly was used for the first time in a 1932 film entitled The Western Code, in which one of the characters, Nick Grindle, says this, I'm tired of you meddling. This town ain't big enough for the both of us, and I'm going to give you 24 hours to get out. And if I see you in Carabinus by this time tomorrow, it's you or me. (laughs) Right? It It sounds like every Western movie ever made, doesn't it? Then there's the, the showdown at the saloon. Well, this is the kind of tension that we begin to see almost immediately in our passage today. Because in our passage today, we don't have a tale of two outlaws or maybe a sheriff and an outlaw. In our, our passage this morning, we really have a, a tale of two kings and Well, this kingdom ain't big enough for the both of them. 
okay? And, and, and so here's the main idea that we're going to see in this tale of two kings, and it's going to kind of telegraph the direction that we're heading. The main idea of our passage this morning is this, worship Jesus, your shepherd king. Worship Jesus, your shepherd king. And so as, as we work through the narrative, look, I, I want to make this as simple as possible this morning. And so I'm, I'm going to split this passage into two parts, verses 1 through 8, and then 9 through, uh, verse 9 through verse 12, and the end of, of the passage. We're going to see in that first half a very simple point. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Secondly, we're going to take away some practical application as we worship the king. And so fairly simple, fairly simple. And so let's, let's jump in then to, uh, to this first half of the passage and take a look at Jesus, our king. Now, the first couple of verses give, a, give us a lot of helpful context, and the first couple of verses are important because they really set the scene for us and for the rest of our passage. And you'll notice right off the bat, Matthew mentions the birth of Jesus, but interestingly, he doesn't give us a lot of detail. In fact, there, there might be aspects of kind of the, the story of Jesus' birth that you're looking for, maybe some shepherds. You're going to notice that the shepherds are curiously absent. Uh, and in fact, just any details really about the birth of Jesus are absent from our passage. In verse 1, we're only told that the place where Jesus was born is Bethlehem of Judea. Now, Bethlehem carries special significance in the scriptures in our passage here today. Not only was Bethlehem the, birth, the birthplace of Jesus, but it was also the, birth, the birthplace of one famous king from the Old Testament, David. This was the birthplace of King David. And, and of course, David would become Israel's greatest king. And it was David that the Lord made it was with David that the Lord made a covenant promising to raise up a king from his offspring whose throne would be established forever. So then, before the wise men utter a word about the birth of a king, Matthew is already hinting at Jesus' royal identity. And we're really, halfway through verse 1, left asking this question, could this be the Davidic king, the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for? Now the tension builds because we're also told that Jesus was born in the days of Herod, the king. Now Herod wasn't a Jew, but he was made king by the Roman Empire. And, and this Herod was infamously known as Herod the Great, and it was for good reason. He was a ruthless ruler who was prone to paranoia, so much so that it led him to kill not only his own wife, but three of his own sons. One pastor I heard talking about Herod pointed out that it was said at the time that it was better to be Herod's dog than one of his sons. This is 
the kind of king that we're talking about in Herod, Herod the Great. And you could, you could begin to imagine why the coming of a new king might be a problem in the eyes of Herod. Well, well, this sets a scene then for the wise men or the magi. Now, your nativity set at home probably has three of them. And um, they might be kind of huddled alongside the manger. We're going to find here in our passage that we're not told how many there are. Now, they offer three gifts, which I think is why we've, uh, we've adopted traditionally that, that there were three we're also going to see later in the passage, they're not present at the manger. They actually show up months, if not two years later, and uh, they meet Jesus, we're told, in a house. Now, but these, these wise men, the magi, uh, they would have been Gentile men, and Matthew tells us that they come somewhere from the east. And they weren't called wise men because they were particularly smart or, or even particularly wise, commentators point out that, that they were probably astrologists. They studied the stars. They interpreted dreams. And it seems they may have studied a bit of the Hebrew Scriptures as well. They, they have some degree of working knowledge about this, this expectation that the Hebrew people had of a coming king or Messiah figure. In fact, their words in verse 2 might be, for example, a reference to Balaam's oracle in Numbers 24. We just wrapped up studying um, the book of Numbers. In this oracle, Balaam spoke of a star coming out of Jacob, a, a scepter rising out of Israel that would defeat her enemies. And, and pay attention to what the wise men say in verse 2. They say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now the, the, the wise men are talking about a completed action here. He who has been born king of the Jews. This baby Jesus, this, this child, he won't grow up one day to become the king of the Jews. He's not a king in training. He doesn't have great potential to become the king. He doesn't have the pedigree of a king. He isn't just expected to be the king. He's not the king in waiting. He is the long-awaited Davidic king of the Jews. He was born that way. That's who he is. And for that matter, he still is king and always will be king. Well, the, the, the wise men, they've come to pay homage to this king. We're told that they've come to, to, to worship him. And herein lies the, the tension of our passage today, this tale of two kings, King Herod and King Jesus. There ain't room enough for the both of them. And Herod, he makes that perfectly clear. We're told in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This announcement of the coming of a king, the birth of a king, it doesn't sit well with Herod. We're told he's greatly troubled. He knows that this Jesus, the king of the Jews, 
is a threat to his own rule. We read also that, that all Jerusalem is greatly troubled with him. Now, knowing what we know about Herod's reputation, we can begin to understand why. I, I, I get the sense that if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? And so their paranoid tyrant king has been made aware of a threat to his throne. And that, that's a recipe for disaster. And you begin also to get the sense that, that Herod, Herod is beginning to hatch a shady plan. A shady plan to eliminate the competition. We'll see this plan in action in our passage next week. In fact, an angel appears to Joseph in verse 13, the first verse after our passage today, and confirms this suspicion, warning him that Herod intends to destroy the child Jesus. But before Herod can destroy the Christ, he has to find him first. And so he pulls together the chief priests, he pulls together the scribes, the religious leaders around him, and he asks them to put their heads together and to tell him where the Christ might have been born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This quotation here comes from the prophet Micah, uh, chapter 5. And it has a, a lot more to say about Jesus than the mere location of his birth. The, the prophet tells us a, a little bit about what kind of king this Jesus is and, and what he has come to do. And so I, I want to take a look at the quote in context. Let's look at the first uh, four or five verses of Micah chapter 5. The prophet says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so you get the get the sense of God's people, they're in danger, they're in peril. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And then verse 4 is part of our, our, our quoted scripture in Matthew 2. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This text, it, it ultimately points to and finds its full fulfillment in Jesus. Yes, Jesus is king. But the prophet tells us that he has come to be a particular kind of king. 
once again, this passage, remember, it's, it's a tale of two kings. And so in, in contrast to King Herod the Great, Jesus came not by force, but as a baby born in a little obscure town called Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't installed, wasn't set on the throne by the Roman government. But the prophet tells us his coming forth was, a, was of old from ancient days. He, he was both a, a descendant of King David and the eternal son of the living God. He's not a king who will rule as a tyrant. He's a shepherd king who shall stand and shepherd his flock, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. He didn't come to rule through force and intimidate his people, but instead to tend his people as a shepherd tends his sheep so that his people would dwell secure. He came, Micah 5.5, 5, to be their peace. And as the Magi are about to show us, this king is, is a king whose arrival is worthy of much rejoicing. This is a king who is worthy of our worship. This is a king who is worthy of our allegiance. This king, brothers and sisters, is the true king. And his glory, I think, shines forth all the brighter on the backdrop of King the Herod, doesn't it? Well, now that Herod knows to begin his search in Bethlehem, he recruits the wise men to do a little bit of, of reconnaissance, to do his dirty work for him and find the child under false pretense. We're told that Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. It's the exact opposite of what Herod intends to do. And so that, that then brings us to our second and final point this morning. Because uh, really this narrative is, is following the wise men. And so the, the wise men have had their time in Jerusalem in the presence of of King Herod, and now they're going to make their way to Bethlehem in order to be in the presence of another king, the true king, the shepherd king. And, and it's in the second half of the passage where, where we see the wise men respond to everything that we've already seen about Jesus in the first half of our passage. So, so Jesus is king. So what? as they set out on their final leg of the journey to, to seek this child who has been born king of the Jews, the wise men are going to model for us an appropriate response to this king, to his reign, to his arrival. Verses 9 through 12, then, I think, should serve as our practical application 
this morning. And that there are four points of application that I want us to take away. The first is simply rejoice. Rejoice. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The, the, the star that had led them this far had once again risen. They caught sight of it, and they knew what that meant. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so the wise men, they make their way to Bethlehem. And they find themselves, as they make their way, in this really interesting tension themselves between what has already happened on the one hand and what has not yet happened on the other. You see, the wise men know that this king, Jesus, has already been born. They said as much in the opening verses of our passage. And at the same time, they're filled with, with great joy, but, but they've not yet laid eyes on him. They've not yet found him. And so when they, when they saw the star in the sky, once again, this star which had been guiding them along the way on their journey, we're told that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is a really interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? It, it seems kind of redundant. Commentator Leon Morris says this about this phrase in, part in particular. He says, Matthew's expression indicates that when they saw their star again, they were more than mildly pleased. He says, deliriously happy may be an overstatement, but it was something like that. They, were ex they rejoiced exceedingly with great Joy. They were, they were filled with joy, deliriously joyful, even before they had laid their eyes on the king for even a moment. And church, I, I, I would propose that we're living in a similar tension right now. We've been talking about it since the Advent season began. On the one hand, Jesus has already come. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension have already happened. They're a matter of historical fact. And yet, on the other hand, he's not yet come again. And so while we've seen him with eyes of faith, our faith is not yet become sight. We've not yet seen him face to face. But we will. But we will. And until then, we're living in this time and space between Jesus' two advents. And look, I, I know this is a difficult place to be. I know it's, it's a difficult place to live because in this time and space, we have to deal with things like sin. Not just your sin, but the sin of everyone else around you. We have to deal with things like death and disease 
and diagnoses. We have to live with things like brokenness in our relationships, loneliness, struggling marriages, unfulfilled desires to be married, disappointment, and on and on and on we could go. But church, we, more than anyone else on the faiths of this planet, we have reason with these wise men to rejoice and be glad, to rejoice exceedingly with great joy, even in the midst of the painful reality of this already and not yet. Because Jesus, our shepherd king, he has come. And Jesus, our shepherd king, he is coming back to consummate his kingdom, to make all things new. And I would encourage you to remember these words from the prophet Malachi, which remind us that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they and we shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And then listen to this, the first, the first part of verse 5. Malachi 5, verse 5, and he shall be their peace. And he shall be your peace. He shall be our peace. In a world that is longing and groaning for peace, a peace that is always beyond its grasp, we have the joy of knowing that the true hope of true peace is ours. A once and for all, always and forevermore peace. Number two, worship with humble reverence. Verse 11, we read, and going into the house, they they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I, I, I doubt, again, that, that the wise men had a, a developed understanding of exactly who Jesus was and, and, and exactly what he had come to do. I'm, I'm not sure these Gentile men from the East had a a full understanding of the significance of this moment. And still, they knew enough to know exactly what they should do. They knew that they were in the presence of royalty. And so they, they responded appropriately. They fell on their faces and they worshiped him with awe and reverence. And then they offered him gifts, gifts fit for a king, and I wonder, to what extent does our worship look like this? How often do we take this posture 
and worship. Now, I'm, I'm talking spiritual posture to be sure, but, but, but even this physical posture. How, how often do we just make our bodies low and prostrate before the Lord? And look, if, if you're like me, your life is, is busy. Our lives are busy, they're full, frantic even. In fact, in the, the, the conversations that happened before we started the worship gathering or maybe during the passing of the peace and you were asking, hey, how have you been? How, how was your week? How many of you responded, ah, oh, busy. It's been really busy, pretty busy season. <laughs> we're distracted. Our lives are a never-ending fire hose of notifications that, that demand our attention and pull it in a, a, a hundred different directions. And so often as our lives go, so goes our worship, so goes our devotion. Distracted, frantic even. We, we, we struggle to play this game of Tetris to fit it into this little crack here, this little crevice here in, our, in the busyness and fullness of our everyday lives. And look, my, my point in, in making this point of application isn't, isn't to, to heap guilt and shame, but rather I, I want to invite you to come before the Lord to come before your shepherd king with these wise men and fall on your face in, in a quiet moment of awe and reverence and to worship him. What if, what if this Advent season, just, let's just start here in December. What if this Advent season, you made it a point to slow down for, for just a few quiet moments. I'm not asking you to set aside the first three hours of your day. Just a, a few quiet moments for reverent worship and devotion. Just, just quiet, still, set aside the phone, lock yourself in a room somewhere. This, honestly, is my favorite thing about our, uh, our, our Wednesday Advent gathering uh, this last week. Um, it, it gave me a built-in time and space to do this. I felt like, in a sense, it was a, 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 an entering into this house with the wise men and beholding this newborn king. And so, look, I just, I just want to invite you. Don't, don't look for time. Make time for that. Just Maybe just once this week. Maybe, maybe make time, just a little pocket of time once per day. And, and, and then also, might we also purpose to live our everyday lives presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, as, as Paul says in Romans 12, with this ongoing sense of reverence and awe and worship, acknowledging that we are always in the presence of our shepherd king, and in fact, that he has taken up residence in us by way of his spirit. Thirdly, all are welcome. All are welcome. The first worshipers were told about in Matthew's gospel, 
it's interesting that they're not Jews. They come and they proclaim that Jesus is king of the Jews, but these men are not Jews. These men are, in fact, non-Jews. They're Gentiles. And furthermore, the Jewish leaders in this passage, those leaders who knew their Bible well enough to be able to tell Herod where this child would have been born, they couldn't be bothered to go themselves and behold the newborn Messiah. It was the outsider magi who rushed to see him and to worship him. Now contrast that with Luke's account of Jesus' birth where he records that the shepherds from the field, likely Jews, came to visit the newborn Jesus while he was still lying in the manger. D.A. Carson, kind of acknowledging this distinction, says this, but Matthew plainly says that Though Jesus was the Messiah, born in David's line, and certain to be the shepherd and ruler of Israel, it was the Gentiles who came to worship him. Here's the distinction that, here's the point that Matthew wants to make for us. And this is going to play out throughout his gospel account. Jesus didn't just come to be king of the Jews. He came to be king of the world. He didn't just come to be the shepherd and savior of the Jews. He came to be shepherd and savior to anyone who would trust in him by grace through faith. We could turn all the way to the end of Matthew's gospel and and, and we would read this in Matthew 28 in in the passage that we uh, know as the Great Commission. We're told that Jesus came to them and said to them, to a group of his disciples, his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sounds like the kind of thing a king would say, doesn't it? Go therefore and make disciples of all the Jews. It's not what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Everyone, everyone here today, everyone on the planet is under his rule, whether you acknowledge it or not. He is king. But look, it it doesn't stop there. Because also, everyone is welcome to approach him by faith as their shepherd, king, and savior. But look, knowing about him and worship of him are two very different things. You see, the the chief priests and, and the scribes, they had the pedigree. They had buttoned up theology And yet, not not one of them, it seems, was compelled to worship Jesus. Not one of them tagged along with these wise men. The Magi, on the other hand, they probably didn't have a full grasp of of the significance of what was going on and, and who Jesus was. And still, they're the ones who fall on their faces, worshiping the King with awe and reverence. 
And so look, here's, here's the point. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. None of this, none of this matters. All of us, every single one of us, are invited to approach this king by faith. His offer of, of salvation is a free offer made to all. There's, there's a radical inclusivity to the gospel. Anyone and everyone is welcome to approach him by faith. And these, these Gentile men from the East are evidence of just that. Lastly, give your allegiance. Give your allegiance to the king. Ultimately, the wise men are faced at the end of our passage with a pretty important decision. You remember what King Herod had commanded them to do, right? He said, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, return. Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, our passage begins with two kings. And now the wise men are forced to make a decision. They must make a choice between these two kings. We're told they receive a warning and a dream not to return to Herod, a dream that likely made Herod's intentions very clear. If they hadn't already discerned them themselves. We read, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And of course, we know the decision that these wise men made. They gave their allegiance to Jesus, heeding this warning that was almost certainly from the Lord himself. You see, part of worshiping the king is bringing your life under the authority of his reign and his rule. Part of worshiping the king is, is living in humble obedience to the king and to his word. And look, not in order to please the king, so that we might be saved by the king, but, be, but through faith in the shepherd king, who has already saved us, if, if in fact we are in him by faith. Look, I, I wonder, as, as we sit here today, as you sit here today, is there an area of your life that you've not fully surrendered to Jesus' lordship and rule? Do you have a, a split allegiance? I would propose there's, there's not room enough in your heart for the both of them. And so maybe today is the day to repent and to walk out that repentance by giving your full allegiance to Jesus. Well, what, what began as a tale of two kings has become a tale of one king, hasn't it? And that's really what this passage is. This passage is, is really the tale of, of one king, a, a shepherd king. 
and that the tension that we sensed at the beginning of our narrative is alleviated, really. It's like the, the, the tension is, is released from the room as the Magi walk into the house and they, they worship Jesus. And I think Matthew here is signaling to us where his gospel account is headed. The point he is making is that there is one king, Jesus Christ. All authority belongs to him. And he's not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of you. He's the king of me. He's the king of the nations. So brothers and sisters, worship Jesus, your shepherd king. Like the wise men, let's seek him this Advent season and beyond. Let's behold his glory as he reveals himself through his written word. And let's worship him and be filled with joy as we do it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and and we confess that Jesus is our king and Lord, we are the people of this kingdom. Father, I, I, I pray that this Advent season would be would be one like, like the wise men of seeking the king. Lord, would, would we desire to, to see Jesus, to behold him in order that we might be filled with joy and worship him? And Father, help us, give us the grace we need to give our, our full allegiance to him and walk and to live in submission to him as we await his promised return. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.